0: Hello, welcome to episode number 273 of the Appalogue podcast. I am your host, Simon Head. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by AIXDSP.com. Get affordable and useful plugins. Get the IC Intuition Compressor. It's a compressor that gives you a clear and intuitive visual display that shows exactly what is happening to your audio at all times. Click the link in the description for more information. I would like to thank everybody for shopping on Amazon and supporting the show. You can do it too by going to Appalock.ca slash Amazon or AppleLock.ca slash US Amazon. You can also go to Appalock.ca and click on those banners located on the right side. Locate your country, whether you're from the Canadians, the USAs or the UKs. Bookmark the links and every time you shop on Amazon, use those things to shop and support the show. It costs you no extra money. I'd like to thank the people helping me out on Patreon. You can become a patron by going to patreon.com slash You can pledge as much or as little as you want on a monthly basis to help with hosting and gas fees. And you can cancel at any time. Go to appalogue.ca shop to buy a t-shirt. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes. Give it five stars, please. Like the show on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash Follow me on Twitter. Uh, Simon Head 666. Today on the show, I have Mr. Jordan Powley. Uh Jordan and I have a weird past. Like, we we actually were... Um, the very first show, he'll, he'll mention it, but the first show he ever put on was, uh, was a band I, that eventually became the band Foursquare that, that put out some records and stuff. We were called Doug back in the day. And the very first thing we talk about is the fact that one of his early, earliest shows was a show that he put on for us and another band called Closet Monster. And yeah what a great what a great coincidence. Jordan is a booking agent for a Feldman booking agency, one of the largest booking agencies in Canada. and um he's still working. And in this podcast, we talk a lot about what's going to happen, how are we going to get out of this thing called the global pandemic? How are we going to cope as artists, and how are people in the business going to cope? And that's primarily most of the conversation that we talked about this. Jordan is a great guy, good dude. And uh, yeah, I think you're going to enjoy this one Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jordan Powley on the Apolog podcast
1: The pictures and promo from my first show that I ever did. Closet Monster was the headliner. Doug was the direct support.
0: Oh, my God. Is that the place? Okay. And that was out in was it Coburg or somewhere out there?
1: Coburg, yeah. Orange Hall. And that was the one where Jesse took the picture of the queen off the wall and sent it body surfing through the place.
0: Oh, shit. You know what? We left because I wasn't feeling that good. We ate Wendy's that night, and I felt horrible after that show. I felt so gross. Oh, so I had to make it home. I just barely made it home before everything opened up. Everything evacuated. It was <laughs> it was this fucking Wendy's I think it was the potato or something, the baked potato. They had yeah. to get food poisoning from a baked potato. Um oh, fuck. I remember that. I remember that show being so awesome and special because um we had Trevor playing drums. Uh was that was it Trevor? Or was it was that, okay, was that, Doug, was that the version of, like, pre-Foursquare?
1: Yes, pre-Foursquare.
0: So it had me and Al and a guy named Danny playing bass and I think Trevor from Treble Charger playing drums?
1: Well, I have absolutely no idea. This is 20 years ago as of I this know.
0: year. Yeah, I think that was the show. That would have been the show. I'm going to go out on the limb and say that. Yeah, that was one of the most fun shows I think I've played in a long, long time, and it felt very um, community-driven.
1: <laughs> there was the diy punk days man it yeah. was just like literally three dollar tickets at the door and shit like that
0: that was your first that was show
1: good, that was my first show i ever did february 2000 wow yeah that was my entrance into the music industry right there
0: yeah and so how did you like were you a high school student that wanted to keep doing it or did you have a did you have a connection to like anybody like the claws monster guys somehow Spick was my cousin. That's it. Okay, right.
1: But yeah, I like, grew up with the entire Claws Monster crew, like, spent yeah. my days down at the Chameleon Cafe and Ajax and shit like that. I,
0: I think there was a thing, and it had to do uh, with Silverstein that they, I think we talked a little bit about it just over the phone or something, how they wanted their name to be bigger in the poster. I think this was ring a bell. And oh, I think man. this is the day of, in the days early MySpace. And I kinda of called out Silverstein. I'm like, come on guys, really? Like there's a kid putting on a show <laughs> in Coburg. Why are you yeah. why are you pulling this rock and roll shit? I don't no, think Oh god it, it happens, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. So man, I've started, by the way.
1: <laughs> Perfect. I there have we to, go. <laughs> it's the start.
0: <laughs> I uh it's been a long time. Um twenty years.
1: Story. Yeah, man, twenty years. It's wild. I can't believe it's been this long, but you know, here we are. Full circle.
0: Yeah. And you've always, you've always, obviously, you were, how old were you when you put that show on?
1: Uh, 20 years ago, that would have been me 17 years old, 16 years old, actually, when I put that show on.
0: That's when punk punk kids won't put on shows.
1: Dude, it was a great time. It was back before, like, Facebook, back before, like, MySpace was really a big thing. And it was all, like, word of mouth, like, putting posters around town and, like, selling tickets at the high school in the yard all those things like just trying guerrilla tactics to get as many people out as possible but that was when kids also used to show up to shows in the local
0: area yeah I
1: mean, we had a solid three to four years where we had like 150 200 kids showing up to bi-weekly shows and now you can't get a kid to show up to a show to save their life here
0: yeah i was trying to think like does that happen did the torch get passed and i don't you know obviously i'm it's that's I'm 50 now, and that was 30 when that went down. I I don't know if the scene is really like as um, regional as as it yeah, should or there's, was. There's yeah.
1: not too many DIY promoters anymore. Like you won't find kids that just like upstart a business in high school and start putting on shows. Like the last time there was somebody in Coburg that was putting on shows, it was Luke Grunts from the band Cleopatra. And he was running a couple of shows out of a venue here. But because back in my day, we really like screwed everybody over and just like took everything and destroyed the city. Uh, now they have a really adverse opinion of what punk rock shows should look like in the town of Coburn.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I remember back even 10 years before then I used to be able to book um at least two weeks of shows between Montreal and, and Pickering. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. And every show was in a basement and uh, every show, there was no real hall shows at that point. And then things started moving to halls and I came through a lot with like SNFU and stuff. And it's fewer, and the bigger the band, the harder it is to sort of stop in the smaller towns. But yeah. there was a really healthy like DIY punk um, show circuit. Oh yeah. To the be played.
1: Southern Ontario run was great. It ran from like probably all the way down to London. And you could just stop at every small town all the way through. And there was somebody that was putting on shows at like uh, Legion halls or like these little spaces. And they were all ages shows. You didn't have to worry about anything that was going on outside. Um, and like, oh man, the days of the dungeon when that was still oh, around. Yeah. Oh, yeah, what a glorious time that was. Uh, I actually ended up running the dungeon for a year and a half, but right before it closed. Really? Yeah. It was great. It was me and Will Neville running the, running that place he actually was oh, yeah. like holding a rent on the place or yeah. holding the lease on the place and he had me in there like gming it so i had to run sound i'd get the bartenders i'd get the security guard scheduled and I'd help them out like on the night of show with all the operations and
0: everything. i was there once i played there a few times i was there once with boys Night out we did a show there and nice. they, they were on know? tour really? you and i sort of hooked up with them for like three or four shows and we did like southern ontario and the Dudgeon was one of the shows yeah, I, I liked it better when the stage was on the north side of the building, yeah. not yeah. where, where it got they, moved to.
1: Then they switched it so that there was a stage on the one side and the sound directly across from it with the bar in between the two of them. Yeah. Uh, that was the rendition that I actually operated. Yeah, yeah. But I started going to shows when the stage was on the north side.
0: Yeah, I liked it there because there's that little back room and then, then you, it felt more of a thing. And there's also there's this sort of cavity in the roof. Which was like yep. a sound man's nightmare. When it turned 90 degrees, it was really hard to get a grasp on the mix. Oh, yeah. It would
1: just reverberate all over the place. Yeah, you wouldn't yeah. be able to figure out the levels to save your life. It would, plan, <laughs> it would play all over the place. Back it up to 11, as they say, in his final time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you've been doing this for 20 years at least. Um, 20 years. And now you're like, is there any... like? Did you did so? You're obviously you work for Feldman, and that's one of the largest booking agencies in Canada, and the
1: largest booking agency in Canada, actually.
0: Yeah, because the agency's gone now. They they left. they're back down in the states. They were the big dogs,
1: and then they turned into UTA. They got bought out by uh, United Talent Agency, and then about a year and a half, two years into that partnership, uh, United Talent Agency decided to shut down the agency or the Toronto office of UTA. Uh, which at that point created a big ripple or like a fair-sized ripple effect where all of the agents split up into different offices. So now we have a Paradigm office in Toronto. We have an AGI office in Toronto that just started up, I guess, six to eight months ago, somewhere around there. We have the APA office in Toronto, and then there's a couple of uh, independent guys that are running around as
0: well. Yeah. Yeah, I remember back in the early days of Foursquare where We were having meetings with people. Feldman wouldn't talk to us, but we had some meetings with people in the agency, and uh, there was always, you know, it's always good to have like a couple of, you know, what I mean, competing uh, agencies. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's always healthy because both sides were sort of interested in having conversations. But but now that you know, has Feldman obviously changed a lot on how how they do business now compared to say a year ago, right?
1: yeah well even like probably the biggest change came about uh i'd say seven to eight years ago with the agency um they moved because they were originally the mantra was very much classic rock adult contemporary focusing on that and being the pros in that field so that's why we've got things like diana crawl we've got sarah mclaughlin uh we had the tragically hip for the longest time uh, big Wreck has been around, like has come and gone a few times. Uh, right now, we got Michael Buble, we got wow. Colin James, we got all these big names that float around in that like classic rock adult contemporary world. But about seven years ago, they started focusing on bringing in some younger agents to start bringing new life to the company. Yeah. And along with that came new musical takes, which is how we ended up with acts like uh, Daniel Caesar. Like Alessia Cara came on board pretty quickly, but she also came from a Nellie Furtado camp. And we represent Nelly Furtado as well, so it kind of yeah. just funneled through. Um, but we get a lot of these new blood in that are bringing new ideas to the table and bringing up like the cool indie stuff. You get the weird, it's like not sorry, not weird, but you get the R and B stuff. You get the left of center, uh, very artistic stuff as well. So it kind of creates a more broad basis for the agency.
0: The yeah, network. yeah. I worked with the uh, Town Pistols, and I forgot. I'm trying to. I was trying to figure out who my contact was there. Um, I think it was Jason. Oh can't remember. Mm, that name's familiar, but that's, I think from a different day. Because I think I also, Trouble Charger was on Feldman from the yes, agency. Trouble who Charger moved, was. Moved over. Uh, and I can't remember who the contact, it's interesting because now I work at a theater and there's different, like, I see Feldman. There's a lot of Feldman. We deal a lot with Feldman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, uh, Our
1: theater department is pretty big right now. And uh, we have probably the most in-depth theater uh, department for, Either it's either us or PEC N. Yeah. Have the deepest theater connections right now because both agencies have a very heavy focus on uh, creating programming for all of the theaters across Canada, whether it's the BC, Alberta, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Ontario, even the East Coast Atlantic ones. So uh, it's really good to see that that is a focus to make sure that uh, people that are our age. Have stuff to go and see where we like to sit down and enjoy a show. Yeah, yeah. Instead of having to go and stand up for three hours at the Danforth Music Hall on a slope. floor. Yeah, you
0: sit I'm on that floor. You, play you play feel like, ah.
1: Oh.
0: <laughs> oh. I saw yeah, Ben Folds. somebody
1: spilled a beer here. That's yeah. great. <laughs> I saw
0: Ben Folds there. Uh, it was about five years ago, four or four, five years ago. And I just, yeah. I mixed Lois and Low there. Uh, it was over a year ago, about a year ago, almost in May. And uh mm-hmm. That place has got so much crazy history. I remember when it had oh, the old nice. seats in it, and we used to do a, a Genesis. I used to be the local crew for a local... Like a Genesis tribute act would come in called the Musical Amazing. Box. And they yeah. would do Lamb Lies Down on Broadway in its entirety and uh, our setup. And it was so sketchy and cagey in that place. And I, I was there like a year ago, and I'm like, this place has not changed. There's the it's It's just as sketchy on stage that it was... Oh, 25 yeah. years ago you know
1: well then embrace took it over and they're like they've been doing a good job of running everything through there my yeah. only hope is that now that they've been absorbed by live nation and that they've got this space that they're actually taking this time through the pandemic to like redo some of the stuff in there like slap a coat of paint on the wall so it doesn't look like it's peeling all over the place and stop redo that a of the
0: tech yeah and stop the roof from looking like it's going to collapse in and uh yeah yeah i actually i was there and i saw chris slorak there i hadn't seen him in like a long time from mets and he also played in monine and he's like one of the um uh theater uh technical directors there so uh it was fun to talk to him and uh yeah yeah and embrace obviously you know a good company to work with but did you um so how long did it take you to get from independent to sort of start working for the the big guys
1: Oh, God. I've only been working for Feldman for about five years now. So it took me 15 years to cruise through the industry to do that. I was independently promoting stuff from the age of, I guess, 17 to, I want to say like 27, 28, somewhere around there. Uh, then I jumped from there over to a company that was focusing on brand partnerships where I was buying talent for things like, uh, WestJet, uh, big brothers, big sisters, visa Canada. Mm-hmm. Like I ran a, uh, I ran a lady Gaga event in an art space in Toronto for like 150 people. I did Katy Perry with them at the mod club, oh, wow. uh, for visa Canada people. So it was really interesting. It gave me a good amount of like other agency connections to go ahead and talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I moved from that, actually, like even before that happened, I worked for underground operations for a year, somewhere around there. Uh, and then I worked with the management company with them as well. So I was uh, handling like day to day and behind the scenes stuff for Acts, like Protest the Hero, and for, oh God, like Hostage Life. Rob, I was dealing with Rob Moyer. Rob Moyer. Yeah, yeah, Rob Moyer. Still one of my close buds. I love that guy. So yeah. one of the hardest working solo musicians out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, like, well, I moved from there over to a company called Cloud Empire. I started up with a couple of guys, uh, and we built that up over the course of about three years where I was heading up the merchandise department as well as the talent buying department and built it to the point that we were buying uh, cover bands for bars, like 50 bars across the country every weekend, every Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. So at any given point in time, I had 150 bands booked on a weekend.
0: Wow. So I had
1: to deal with all of the logistics that went along with that, uh, all the contracting, all the payments and everything. And then eventually it got to a point that I was kind of done with that world. And I took a bonus from a large event that we ran. uh, And I called up Tom Kemp, said, Tom, I need a job. I really want this to happen. And then I took four weeks off and went down to San Diego did some uh, surfing down there. Headed down to Costa Rica, did some surfing and then came back and I think probably three weeks after I got back I had a desk at Feldman and I've been trucking along since.
0: Yeah. So are you where where do you where you, you're out of Toronto right now?
1: Yeah, I, like technically, I'm based out of Toronto, but yeah. uh, during the pandemic, I actually moved out to Coburg, Ontario, to come out here, get a little bit of space, mm. um, and just enjoy the country a little bit and take a beat. Yeah. Um, my family's from out here, so it gives me a chance to actually spend time with them. Which, yeah. while I'm living in Toronto and the industry is actually operating, uh, I'm able to. I'm not able to come spend time with my family. I'm not able yeah. to like hang out with my brother every week. I'm not able to hang out with my mother every week. So this gives us an actual time to uh, take that a little bit of downtime, do something good with it. And then once everything starts kicking back up again, I'll be back in the city.
0: Yeah, I mean, my cousin works for Workopolis and they've actually said, we don't have offices anymore. Everybody's working from home. And uh, it was a pretty smart move. You know, if I, you know, if you think about it, you know, because everybody can work independently and work from home. And uh, you know, there's gonna be a lot less pants sold. I will tell you that for sure. Yeah. Okay.
1: Oh, definitely. A lot, a lot more comfy pants. Pant pants though. sales like, are nice key. sweatpants. It'll be great.
0: Sweatpants sales through the roof. Normal <laughs> <laughs> pants, no,
1: no, not so good. Down, go. Down, yeah. Go so buy yeah. stock in good slacks right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> <about to. laughs>
0: i uh oh, no but that i mean that could be the way things are going now you know everybody i know a guy who lives out in nova scotia still has his toronto phone number you know and yeah and you know definitely. just in case well, or
1: with facebook and google right now they're all saying that like at least 50 percent of the people that were sent home to work are not going to be coming back to their offices and they're going to be downsizing on the spaces that they've got so if large tech companies like this that are at like in the mainstream are doing it, I can only imagine it's going to trickle down through. Like office space in Toronto is probably going to see a serious crash because you don't need everybody to be in there. And anybody that's able to get out of their leases and move away from that is likely going to go into either a shared space or get a smaller space and people are going to end up booking time to come in for meetings.
0: Yeah. I mean, that might be a good opportunity for someone who owns some of that office spaces to make it a common space. And then, so if you need to come work, you can just come sit plop at a table and pay a monthly fee just to be able to have a desk to work at and uh yeah my wife works for rogers and uh when the whole pandemic hit her job was to make sure that there was enough bandwidth of internet in suburbs and and out in the regions and she's basically taking from toronto's bandwidth and putting it in the suburbs like relocating like speed so people Because it wasn't designed, it wasn't designed for like at 10 in the morning to be on like 110% because-
1: Yeah, been- not at all. Yeah. But now we're seeing all these people that are moving out of the city. Like I was reading an article the other day that said Collingwood as a city has experienced a 200% uh, like volume worth of housing sales year over year from last year, like May this year to May last year, 200% increase. Um, just because all of the people are leaving Toronto yeah. to get out to the like out- outskirts where real estate costs a fraction of the amount. They can all work remotely right now. You don't have to worry about any of the, like going into the office at least for a year at this
0: point.
1: Yeah. Bar, I don't know about the other industries. Like the bar industry is definitely like different. They're starting back up this week, but at least in the music industry right now, uh, anybody that's uh, still working in Toronto having a hard time dealing with it because there's no shows going on there's no meetings going on and then like you're paying an exorbitant amount for rent in the city uh or if you own a place you're playing paying an exorbitant amount for taxes so i
0: don't know yeah i just uh i had to i did two you're my second podcast tonight by the way and i had just had one with ron hawkins from lois hello and uh, and he you know it's it's in he's doing okay he's fine but there are a lot of people out there who are not just musicians or artists, but technicians, and like everybody's feeling this, man. And you know, and I, I said it all. Though I'm saying it, I only said it two hours ago. I'm gonna say it now because it's gonna be a week has passed. But I think someone needs to just hit me over the head and sort of put me in like cold storage. <laughs> and,
1: and, and like when everybody's Probably okay, really you like Walt Disney. Yeah, bring totally me back. Yeah,
0: yeah, bring me back, and I can. I can jump into business, and I won't be like afraid of everything and everybody and yeah. uh and you know it's there's a lot of anxiety for for me and you know, and I have a job, you know what I mean? There's so much like how oh, yeah. how are we gonna get back to what we thought was normal and and granted, some of it wasn't really going that good, you know, if you think about certain aspects of the business, you know. And... No,
1: there's definitely a lot of cutthroat nature, like especially on my side of the industry. Like Everybody was at each other's throats. Everybody was clamoring for every dollar that was out there. Everybody was trying to undercut the other guy at the same time, or at least like knock people down so that they could get up and pass them. Yeah. Uh, Toronto wasn't so bad for that, but you could see it a lot in like, uh, New York and LA, which were like, the industry hotspots. LA more so than New York, because New York has kind of died down over the last 10 years. Um, but people were just like trying to step all over people in order to get to the next level. And we're going to see a lot less of that because right now I think the statistics are something like in the agency world and the promoter world, the unemployment rate is at 50%. Oh. So they've cut down half of the amount of people that were out there working and yeah. don't quote me on that number, but it was somewhere around that when I was checking it out the other day. And there's half the amount of people that are going to be doing the same amount of work when this all boots back up because the revenue is still not going to be there. But things are going to start rolling before we actually start seeing dividends.
0: Yeah. No, I've told, I've been talking some, you know, obviously other theaters and they're saying, you know, what we would have paid four grand for, we're paying two grand for now. And either we're going to get it or we're not going to get it because the theater can only run at, 50% or whatever number. They haven't actually given anybody a real number yet, how to work. Mm-hmm. So that leaves everything just so like a jumble, you know, and, and our theater is supposed to open September 3rd. And I mean, we don't have any shows booked, but I'm sure that's where Feldman comes in handy. Yeah. Uh, well, I like
1: I heard today from the uh, theater team that the theaters in Ontario and out on the West coast, I've already started discussions about potential programming for this fall when things start bo- uh, booting up, but only booking it like 30 to 60 days out, somewhere around yeah. there, so that they have a little bit more of an idea of how it's going to work, what the capacities are that they're going to be at, what kind of uh, safety restrictions and safety protocols they have to yeah. uh, adhere to through the process. Yeah. So at least they know that they're going to aim for some stuff. But it's still gonna be all the low-hanging fruit because any of the top acts that were touring through these theaters have already transplanted everything they had in 2020 and put it into 2021. Yeah. So it's not like it's gonna be the acts that are regional, the acts that are like smaller and the acts that are more uh more ready to move, uh, that can go out and get all these gigs. And I think yeah. we're gonna see like an, at least a good light shone on a bunch of the developing acts from around Canada, as they're the ones that are gonna get the first opportunities to go in.
0: Yeah, because they're the ones, you know. But also those those are the ones that are going to be the hungriest, you know, because they're going to want to get out there and, and play. Um, are you familiar with Ontario Presents? The all the yeah, the, yeah the, a lot of those theaters they have this big big meeting like in April, and a lot of them have just closed the doors until January twenty twenty one. They're like yeah, regional that, theaters.
1: I that the went out, too. Yeah, it was uh, there's a uh, the large block from Ontario Presents which basically handles all of the like primary PACs, yeah. the ones that are focused around like the probably 500 to a thousand capacity. Yeah. Uh, it's the small municipal ones that are like 300 capacity and like your middle of nowhere. The Meaford halls right?
0: and the... Exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah totally. Or like yeah. the... I've been booking shows out in this one place. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's just like an hour and a half northwest of Toronto and in the middle of nowhere for some reason anytime we throw a band out there they sell like 300 tickets because there's no live music that has come through
0: there at all yeah we got the little one in uxbridge the uxbridge music hall and it it seems busy because i was trying to book it for some recording time like this is perfect i can record a band in here they're like no no we're actually pretty busy i'm like oh okay nobody else lets me know i live like a bicycle ride away from this place (laughs) i didn't know that jeff martin from tea party played there like (laughs) you Well, I did kind Oh, of, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the the
1: place that I'm thinking of it's Avening Hall and uh, Creamore. It uh, ah, doubles yeah. as a music venue and a wedding hall and a community center and, 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 and so <laughs> basically the only like communal space in the entire city of like 700 people or
0: something. Yeah. Like that. Captured they a have, captive like, audience. Yeah.
1: Exactly. But like within a half hour radius of this place, they have like 10, 15,000 people. So as soon as you get something live in there, they just come flying in for it. Yeah. Like that.
0: Yeah. It seems like you know the you know when I used to I used to go to Europe and tour a lot and it was a similar idea but like for punk rock it had a different regional feeling to it like you'd go three hours and there'd be a place that it would just be on the cusp far enough away for the people that met in the middle could either go to either show and they'd sort of mm-hmm. planned it a region you know regionally about what type of shows you were playing and we went there to go open for some forty one and they canceled all the regional shows and just put like Cologne. Uh, Manchester, London, like yeah. they were like, everybody else can come to us now. And it worked. You know what I mean? So they put what well, we were supposed to do 21 shows with them, came down to seven.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Which wow. was like,
0: Ay, yeah, yeah. Especially when you. Well, I
1: guess if you're selling that many tickets within a certain radius, and if all of the shows sell out and you want to sell more, it makes sense to condense it down to one venue that's larger that can accommodate it and just bring everybody there. Especially if it's only like 45 minutes to an hour away. Like, I know people that drive from Pickering and Oshawa to come to Toronto for concerts. Yeah. Like, it's not that bad. Yeah. But at the same time, in Europe, they have so many centers that you can just go around and play like a million shows, especially when you're a DIY punk rock fan
0: totally totally i know but as an opening band you're like you think you're going to be playing 21 shows to play seven it's like uh we've already bought our plane tickets uh we're going to be taking a bit of a hit on this uh tour yep
1: yeah that's the way it goes the the good old european expenses as you go across the uh pond there every time the van renting the equipment all of those things every time you
0: scratch your van it's some sort of expensive like oh really it's that much oh (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah i totally get it i never actually got to do the touring musician thing and it's really bothered me it's one of my like biggest life regrets that i haven't been able to like get an event i didn't even tour manage or anything like that you're not missing anything world. <laughs> yeah. oh come on now <laughs> going around and seeing all these dingy dive bars and basement yeah. shows all across the country yeah. i would have loved to do that at least once if you said it uh, would have been like...
0: well you still can you know that it's not too late you know what i mean because this industry i
1: think it's <laughs> <laughs> I think it's too late for me right There's, now. Nah, just man. A little bit. The uh,
0: industry could take a big old shit dive, and you be like, ah, oh, I guess I gotta, you know.
1: <laughs> that's fair. That's very fair. But then, you know, what I could do is I could just organize virtual tours that are geofenced all across the country, and I don't have to leave the comfort <laughs> of my own home. Yeah, I'll
0: just yeah. Send out a
1: camera crew with each and every one of these bands, or put them up in one venue here, and I'll just broadcast it out to everybody. That'll yeah,
0: win. yeah. Hey, speaking of which, with Feldman, what is the what is Feldman's now like? I know maybe it's like too secretive and there's maybe too much talk going around. Is there a way that people are going to start making money out of virtual shows, like streaming? Like, is this something that Feldman is going to start putting into contracts?
1: Um, it's interesting. Like there's different ways that you can look at the virtual shows here. Um, there's, Always the DIY virtual shows that people are putting out on their like IGTV and Facebook Live yeah. and stuff like that that you're not going to be able to monetize. The YouTube stream is going to be something that at least you can try to get some kind of like uh, advertiser revenue off of it, yeah, but you yeah. have to be at a certain level in order to see it. Um, yeah. And even still, like those are just shitty cameras in people's basements that you're yeah. not going to be able to see properly, and they're doing it off of their computer speaker or an iPhone headset speaker in order to get it. Um, but then you're seeing companies and like certain organizations pop up that are bringing out high quality uh, videos that are filmed in studios and either live stream from the studios or they're being pre-recorded and broadcast at a later date. Yeah. And just utilizing that footage and having the, like fan interaction with the artist while it's going on on online platform. So as those things are starting to pop up, we're also seeing venues that are retrofitting themselves with uh, streaming. Kind of streaming setups, but they have multi-camera angles as well as like a video director. Like one that's going like really big right now is uh, the Antibar in Quebec City. They've been doing live stream shows out there uh, on a regular basis and they have a full streaming setup with multiple camera angles, great sound engineer, and a video director on site. And they're broadcasting it out worldwide with a paywall so that it's actually, you have to pay like your $5 in order to get into it. Mm -hmm. And as I was talking to Carl that's running it right now, uh, he's estimating that they're going to sell somewhere around 30,000 tickets by the time of summer so all of the shows that he's been putting on mm. so it's like at least he's putting out a high quality product and you're seeing other like high quality paywall products that are going in so yeah Feldman's booking into this stuff as much as humanly possible. Um, it's just we have to wait for the model to be it's the same thing as we look at like these drive-in theater uh, yeah. concerts that are going on right now. Uh, it's an unproven model, and everybody's kind of jumping at it saying, yes, this is going to be the next thing, or this is going to yeah. be the Band-Aid solution that gets us through the year. But it's one drunken driver away from mm. ending it for everybody across the board. Totally. Because then it becomes a giant press scandal, and it's just like, why are people doing this? Like People are bringing alcohol into it. Or it's one COVID outbreak while all the people got out of their cars and rushed the stage. And one of the people had coronavirus and gave it to 300 people that were at that show. Yeah. So there's a lot of factors and question marks that are going into the things that are happening right now. And I like I like to take a little bit more of a skeptical outlook to it. But at the same time, like you can't just keep bands from doing it. You can't yeah. tell a band like you're not allowed to go play any shows. If a band wants to play a show and as your as their agent, you say, no, don't go play that show. They're going to find an agent that says, yes, go play that show. Yeah. So it's one of these balancing acts where you kind of got to uh, weigh out the pros and cons and have a serious conversation with the actor to go do it. Yeah. But for, going back to your original question here, now that I've gone off on a complete tirade, uh, <laughs> yes, Feldman is doing whatever we can to help support these virtual things. We're just trying to do it the right way and provide a good quality product for our clients to go out, especially if it's a situation where the end user or the consumer or the concert goer uh, is actually getting value out of their paid product.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that that is sort of I think with our theater we are looking very seriously into it and we will start putting it into contracts or try to negotiate as part of the contract to say all right, well we hold 631 seats. Uh anything on top of that is 80/20 split gravy. You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. free money. It's money that you'd never get because we only have so many seats to fill bums in. You know what I mean? Yeah, and
1: that's like that's what I've been kind of talking through with a couple other promoters where it's like uh, one of those you can add it on to the deal afterwards yeah. and just say like anything we sell through the streaming platform gets split with the artist so we can take a look at the report afterwards um, the biggest issue is that it's all going to have to be geofenced to like a certain area that's around the venue that you're at so you don't have it being broadcast to the next stop where the band is going uh, yeah. so people are watching it ahead of time because uh, that might come into like some kind of radius issues and it could cause all kinds of ruckus and everything like
0: that I never even thought of that Yeah, because I know, I work for Platinum Blonde, and they're always worried about radius clauses and uh, getting too close to where the other show is. and I never even thought of that. I never even thought like, you know. But I mean, I mean, depends who it is, right? Like if it's uh, if it's uh, Classic Albums Live. Is probably not going to be able to do it anyways based on all the yeah. the music that they They may play. not care.
1: They may put it out on their own website so that absolutely everybody can see it whenever they want. People right. are still going to come see that show live. But if you're Metallica, you're damn well going to target that or geofence it into mm-hmm. a certain area while you're going through. Uh, yeah. Either that or you're just going to start doing it from one venue and not have to tour anywhere in the world. People are just going to watch this stuff through virtual headsets as if they're actually on site at it. Some Ready Player One shit right there.
0: Yeah. No, that's actually something that we've had very serious conversations about, like, how an ocul- Oculus Rift can, can, aff- can help theater, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. where you can look around and say, oh, I'm in the theater, you can choose your seat, and there's a lot of things that can be done with technology, it doesn't necessarily make it, I mean... A year ago, I'd say I was told several times, like, no, 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 no. It's about theater. It's a, it's about live. It's about it's the experience you want to see the spit coming out of their mouth and and it's theater. And now it's like maybe we can look at this now. You know what I mean? Like the oh, end, if slowly but surely, like maybe it's a good time to start looking into that. And uh, I said this last week, which was only two hours ago, but. Saturday Night Live doesn't sell tickets to go see Saturday Night Live. They give you a ticket. Mm-hmm. You win a ticket in the lottery. They make all their money through other revenue streams, you know, like advertising. Yep. And that is sort of the model that needs to start possibly pushing things through where what if we wanted to book Justin Bieber in our little theater and, and did a worldwide exclusive on something like that? We could have a a million people watching the show. You know what I mean? Yep. which
1: that's very true.
0: Far exceeds the... And we just give the tickets away to the 630 people, and they can have a good old time. You know what I mean? So yeah. there's so many ways to sort of like, uh, sort of try to get this push in. Try to get it going, you know, and
1: yeah, well, we've seen in the last three months, uh, there's been such a boom in technology advancement that it can be equated to the last two years of technological advancement. So if you like utilize that while we're continuing through the pandemic, by the time that we are done this pandemic, expected that we'll be eight years ahead in technological advances from where we actually started out in uh, March 2020. So with that comes all the things that all these people that have been furloughed or that are working from home actually have time to work on, like these virtual experiences yeah. and the paywalls, and figuring out how these systems work so that they play into the concert deals. Like I'm sure you saw the Rolling Stone article that went out with the live map me- or the memo from Live Nation, that where they basically listed all their new festival closets and somebody from the inside of Live Nation leaked it out to the press. So they have set all kinds of things up. But one of them, in terms of the virtual stuff, is that Live Nation has the free will, have the freedom to film the set from any of their festivals and hold the digital rights and licensing to it for five years after the date of show. So they can go out and utilize that for any broadcasting that they want to do after that for up to five years without paying any royalties whatsoever.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's also, I mean, with with the with, with theater, I know that there is some sort of if we filmed it, it would be for promotion. So, therefore, there's sort of like there are a few different avenues you take with how people get paid. Uh, I do know that. Um, Part of me wants to put this in place so we can actually have overflow rooms in our space, but also we can choose whether we're going to stream it. And you can do it through Facebook. You can somehow fence it a little bit by making it a private group in Facebook and give it to a certain amount of people who are based in this region, say members. Um, But there's definitely a way. You know, it's out there and like, it's like, it's weird. It's like, uh, you know, there's so many different ways to do it that nobody's really sort of said, well, how do you, how are you doing it? You know what I mean? And well, Mm -hmm. I'm doing it this way. Oh, I never even thought of that. And then developing sort of like a a group of people who are all super smart, who can kind of like make the way it's going to be
1: done. Yeah, I think we're actually going to see a lot more of these platforms like copper professional platforms uh, start to show up where they're dedicated to this style of virtual concert experience where they can jump in and like they'll send out a camera crew with the tour while it's going through and it's all pushed through a dedicated platform. And we had this for the last couple of years with VIP programs, with tours, where they'd send out a VIP crew that would sell all the VIP tickets, they'd coordinate with all the people that bought the VIP tickets, they'd get the band organized on site. Um, So there's no reason that that model can't translate over to the virtual experience, where Mm they take a camera crew with it, they have a video director slash mixer that's going to go through it through the whole process. They'll have a host with it that in between sets while you have that changeover. It's not like just sitting there staring at an empty stage but they have the host going and like talking to the bands or they have footage from when during soundcheck. while they get a quick interview with them talking to some of the people in the audience. So it'll make it more of like a proper paid experience that people should be paying attention to yeah. like a pay-per-view event. Basically, like you want to go see like Slayer play at Madison square gardens. So you're going to pay like 50 bucks online in order to do so. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sitting there and paying 50 bucks to watch a one hour changeover with just dead space on the stage. Yeah, like I'd rather pay the hundred and fifty bucks to go watch Dead Space while I'm at Madison Square Garden. And
0: yeah, and there's the other side of it saying let's go for massive amounts of people with low production value or medium production value, where yeah. you know I remember when they did the Olympics, they were live streaming some of it without commentators. And I kind of enjoyed it. I didn't like the you know, when the guy's doing the moguls. I didn't hear like to hear the guy go, "Oh, that's a good move and you know, like where someone's talking over. It. I heard where the guy's skiing and for some reason, none of the commentators were on the live stream, and I'm like, I'm kind of into this, but I you know whatever i i I appreciate weird different things. I guess people want to have an entertainment. You know, but if someone said to me, "Hey, do you want to see Slayer for five bucks on your computer screen?" Yeah, I do. Does anybody else? Well, would you be able to get 10 times the amount of people because $50 is a kind of a pay-per-view if you want to watch UFC or something, if not more. Uh, yeah. Can you get 10 times the amount of people to watch, put eyes on your show than if you were to do it for more and get less people watching it and make it more exclusive? Yeah. That's that's the line. Nobody's There's no middle ground there yet. No one said, you know, like you're either doing it from your bedroom over your computer screen or the Starlight Sessions in uh, Edmonton are doing things too, yeah. where you know um, they're doing live concerts from from Edmonton without people in the audience. It looks great, but they're doing it by donation, and that to me, yeah. that's not fair to them because they're pushing this envelope where they're pushing it in directions where everybody's going to be doing this in five years. You know it. I know it. Yeah. We all know it the rivoli
1: well i've talked to tyson out there a couple of times about the series that he's doing and the reason that they've been doing it by donation only is to actually garner the interest in the series and to actually gauge the like proper appetite for it so they can see how many people are logging in to view these things and once they get to a certain point that it's a proven model they've worked out all the kinks and they can actually provide the proper product out of it. like right now it's still kind of middle ground like you said like it's not exactly the best there's a couple of things that need to get worked out but once they finally work through that and they turn it into a proper product and it's a, like a tested model, yeah. then they can go out and actually charge people like, well, for your concerts that are normally $30 at the door, they charge an extra $15 if you want to watch it from home online. Yeah. And there you go. You just add to the revenue of the show and you've turned his 600 cap venue into an infinite cap venue at that point. Mm-hmm. So anybody from anywhere could watch this or if it's geofenced to the Edmonton area, then it's just like however many people are in Edmonton. I have no idea what the population right? True. Yeah. Um, so that kind of works out in that favor, but like this virtual stuff is the way that it's going to have to go for these arena tours that are going in. Like how many t- people do you think they're going to have showing up and paying $2,000 at a Drake show coming up next year? Yeah. I'd say not many, like the economy completely crashed. Plus there's the scare of the coronavirus that's going on. But if Drake went out and he did a tour of 1,000 cap rooms that he only had 700 people paying like a thousand bucks a ticket in order to get into and then the rest of it was all live streamed for 150 bucks as a proper pay-per-view event with proper production. I think he could make like well over the amount that he was going to make before because there will be people paying attention.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. And and the, and the production values or the production costs are down because you're you're not in a 20,000 seat venue. You're in a 1,000 seat venue, and those people need to hear and look and look and sound great for those people. But the amazing shit you can do for less. Exceeds the amount that it would even if, if you did it at the sonic Theater, or, or you know, stadium, whatever. Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah. While well, trying to think about how things are going to turn out on the other side of this, I've been speculating for weeks now with so many different people, and everybody has a different idea. And I'm just hoping that there's going to be some kind of common ground that's going to show up. But I really don't think that we're coming back to the same live touring industry that we had before. Like as of February of this year. We won't be seeing that same model. I think like the agents are going to have to take a haircut. The managers might have to work a little easier. The promoters and the agents and the managers are all going to have to work a lot tighter in order to create, or in order to bring things, pardon me, back from the debt, because right now everything is ground to so much of a halt that nobody's working. Nobody's going out, nobody's doing anything whatsoever. And we're going to have to regain the consumer trust. Like ticket prices are going to have to go down just to get people through the door. Yeah. Um, Let alone like how it's going to look when you get inside with the like people wearing masks, how many people you're actually allowed in the venue. And that's another thing with all these places opening up, it's like they want to put bands into these venues. But if you're only operating at 20 percent capacity, if you have 30 people inside a 500 cap room, that is so demoralizing to a band. Well,
0: it's demoralizing to the promoter, too
1: oh god I mean, yeah yeah absolutely. I, like, it's one of those it's the thing that the promoters and the venues have to do because they need to start getting these wheels greased and start getting people rolling through it and get back to comfortable to being going out or sorry get back to being comfortable going out to these shows and being in public with each other yeah. because if we just go from zero to 100 everybody's either going to be too scared to do it or it's going to be like another coronavirus outbreak comes right after
0: yeah no i I spoke a little bit too uh about you know in our situation at the theater, And because it's city run, arts and culture is a pretty important part of how a city functions. So therefore, Mm -hmm. people are saying, well, we're going to have to take a bath on these shows. You know, this is the way it is. You know, we're going to have to spend more than we make to keep the art wheels rolling and uh, keeping these agendas functioned. You know, I mean, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. if it was in the previous um, council setup, we'd be doing shows already. You know what I mean? The the council changed over to be a bit more conservative in arts and culture. And there's been talk of like, let's just sell the theater. You know what I mean? It's like, you know what I mean? It's like, let's, (laughs) let's sell it to somebody, you know? And it's like, no, no, you can't do that. This is like the crown jewel of our city. You can't just throw it away and give it because it costs you money. Like, why don't you start selling some, swimming pools while you're at it you know what i mean like these are things there you go swimming pools cost a lot of money a lot more and they make zero money you know
1: <laughs> <laughs> these municipal swimming pools where everybody goes and hangs out yeah. for no reason for get three bucks three
0: <laughs> bucks you know what i mean oh to go swimming
1: God.
0: you can't oh, make well, money at well, a swimming pool never open a swimming pool
1: <laughs> you know what they need to open up bowling alleys i'm telling you that's oh, yeah. where the money's at these days totally get those bowling alleys back
0: up yeah absolutely i agree with you uh, what else um you know, let's let's you know the whole drive-in movie thing is or drive-in theater show. Ah, uh, we were talking a little bit about it, but we were talking about streaming it to drive-in theaters as sort mm-hmm. of part of a double feature of a movie. You know what I mean? So yeah. before the movie happens, we're going to show a live stream, quotes unquotes, of a theater show or show that's happening in our theater. And we were in some serious negotiations with a big company that had like a bunch of these drive-in theaters, movie theaters. Mm -hmm. i don't think it's going to happen you know what i mean i think the same thing like they have the whole infrastructure in place you know you don't need a big old pa system everything goes through the car stereo system it's going to be great
1: it's tough with the drive-in theaters right now because they're not kind of they're not really built uh and they're in such an old state right now so they're not built for the coronavirus and the pandemic that we have going on right now like the questions at hand are really like what are the washrooms looking like there yeah. Like are you just using the like three stall washroom that they have inside the con- uh, concession booth yeah. or are you setting up a bunch of porta johns how many people are sitting there like sanitizing these porta johns the entire time are they even getting sanitized yeah. during the, the whole process of it and what's the food situation looking like are they actually allowed to like cook food at these things yeah. and like how are they getting them to the people that are out there Plus, on top of that, if you're looking at a live concert, just like where are the people going? Are they just sitting inside their like cars the entire time? Yeah. I don't know. Like, it's not really my thing. I'm not like, I'm also one of the like like music industry guys. I like going to my shows. I like feeling the stinky air inside the Bovine Sex Club on a Friday night and just feeling the thickness of it all at the time. But yeah, like when I'm, if I'm stuck in a car, I might as well be stuck in like my home and watching it on tv screen yeah you're not really socializing with anybody
0: at that point yeah in it's a compromise and that's all about this whole thing it's about been about compromise like well do you want this or nothing you know and it's like well you can't you can't you can't put that ultimatum on people like because mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of people will take the ball i guess that's all we got you know what i mean yeah, you know what i mean
1: <laughs> yeah and i think it's got to be the right band for it too like yeah. you can't just throw any band out there and hope that people are going to go see it it's like you got to look at there's like brett kissel's doing a couple out in the east right now i know that uh the ottawa blues fest and the nac guys out in ottawa actually combined forces and they're throwing something Gatno no coming up in uh, a couple of weeks here um, so it's like there's a couple of these that are going on in different little pockets, and there are people that want to go out to these things just so that they can get out and they can see the concert experience. And these are the music lovers that we should be giving something to right yeah. now. So I can't let my personal opinions completely uh, sway this argument by any means. Like there is people that are going to pay for this. There are people that are going to enjoy the experience, and they're yeah. going to look back three years from now and say, "Hey, remember that cool drive-in show that we went to? And we went and saw." oh God, like Arkell's down at the docks or something like that.
0: And they got it all
1: done in the drive-in theater there. So these are different things that like different people will enjoy and there always is going to be an audience for it. Um, I just think that this is one of those things that artists have to take a hit on and give it back to the audience, uh, but they have to do it properly. And they can't just like go in there, throw it together and just hope for the best.
0: Uh, It
1: has to be well thought out and a good product has to go out. Because if a bad product goes out, you're not getting those return costs.
0: But yeah, well, that's the whole thing. I mean, part of me thinks it could be a complete and utter travesty flop, but it might, only, it might actually help the industry if we put some of these really badly run drive in theater shows, and people are like, that was a piece of shit. And you're like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. well, we'll never do that again. I'm like, okay, good, moving on. Can we think of new ideas? Because everybody seems really, really hot and heavy on this drive in thing. And uh, I was working for a band we were going to do, and actually next week in Markham in a drive-in in a a, a parking lot i mean like i've done stupid country festivals in grand prairie in a parking lot and that's when you you didn't even have to be in your car and it sucked it it sucked (laughs) oh
1: yeah
0: it sucked so hard that when i thought about this i wanted to bring a camera crew and document the whole thing because of just the weirdness of the whole thing you know what i mean just to watch
1: oh yeah
0: how people are going to function how this works you know in
1: Mitespe- there are certain spaces that are made for it right now like you look at the burles creek grounds where they hold boots and hearts like why are they not throwing them up there right now or you look at Wilson yeah. park up in Barrie and it's like these are the spaces that are made for festivals these are the spaces that you can retrofit and actually do a drive-in concert properly like set up extra screens so that you can get the cars like all with viewing spaces here and you've got separate rows for them and you yeah. have enough room to throw like 150 200 cars in. but like- the people that are going into the actual drive-in theaters like those weren't built for this.
0: No, not unless you're watching it on the screen as uh, with good production, like a pay per view. Yeah, you know that I, to I me. Think
1: it, it could work out that way. It's uh, it's one of those things that you. Kind of have to look at how the grounds are set up too, because like if you throw a PA system in there, it might be too big and too like blasty. Yeah. And without all the people in front of the stage, and it's just a like metal cars out there, yeah. the sound could come off really awkward. And then you throw it through the FM stereos, it's like, how many people have their windows open? How much echo do you get? Oh, the delay off the back? would be there's unbelievable. Delay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, mm-hmm. there's a lot, a couple of questions on that side. Again, mm-hmm. this is a completely untested model. We'll yeah. find somebody that does it right in the next like, two months yeah. and then everybody's going to base it off that exact same
0: model. yeah well you're talking about burles, burles burles creek i i think that's would be too many stuck cars I, you know if you've been yeah. to like when you go that's to fair. uh if you sit there and, and just stand on that ground it's wet it's slippery and if it rains a little bit it's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be a nightmare but that, that might be sense. the fun part of it you know what i mean that might be the the fun interesting weirdness of it all in
1: to well, me, if you throw a country concert, you're just going to get a bunch of dudes out there in big trucks, and, oh, yeah. like bringing all their ladies with them. And so the, it's like they'll be go. in the
0: front and they'll be blocking all the thing. And do they have the ah. same? If they have the same uh, etiquette as you do in driving theaters, because if you have a truck, you have to sit in the back. You can't. You yeah. can't go up front.
1: There you hatchbacks go. too.
0: Yeah, hatchbacks. Yeah, and
1: fifty percent of them will all have towing rigs on them, so they can pull everybody out of there that got stuck. They'll all have booster uh, cables. Cottage industry. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's cottage industry out there. Go Skokas. Let's get it done. <laughs> I love it,
0: man. Well, man. you know, I, yeah, I, I, w- I, wish. I I feel the industry is feeling a little bit burnt out and a little broken right now and some
1: people are i'm like i'm sorry to just like jump in on that but it's like i've seen a lot of people complain about the current status of the industry and what's going on um it's been three months it's like guys we know what's going on here you don't need to keep complaining about it yes everybody's getting burned out but were we not burned out before we walked into this
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's like we just got to keep rolling through this so um, i'd like to just like make sure that the message is getting out there that everybody needs to stay positive through this and focus on your mental health throughout all the mental health in the music industry is a giant issue um and everybody needs to be aware of it like people will burn themselves out people will have problems through it all if you don't sit and focus on yourselves and we've got the time right now to focus on it um, unison benevolent fund is there for a reason i encourage anybody that has any issues with mental health please reach out to them they will help with anything um, and as you can't tell, I'm a huge advocate for mental health, like not only in the music industry but uh, across the world in yeah. all sectors. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate you uh, coming on. It's nice to catch up with you and... You know, let's. Uh... It's
1: always a pleasure, man. And you know what? Say hi to Kyle Gordon Stanley for me. I haven't heard from him in forever. I know he's a regular on your show, so uh, I I'd will. love to get that message put across. But by all means, man, let's uh, let's set up a time and do this again sometime down the road.
0: And that was Mr. Jordan Powley of Feldman Agency on this week's episode of the Athlon Podcast. Two hundred seventy-three episodes. It's a lot of episodes. There's a lot of talking. Thanks, Jordan, for doing the show. I Appreciate it. Hope you didn't hear anything weird in there. It didn't sound weird to me. I, I usually usually can f- figure out the weird stuff and get rid of it. But you know, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope everybody enjoyed this episode. And what can I say? It's getting hot out there. It's getting hot, hot, hot. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna get through this thing. Everybody, just buckle down. Especially you, who are friends of the South stay inside stay inside don't don't go outside you will die <laughs> you'll literally die um next week what do I have next week i some episodes next week but I don't, know. I don't know I'm readily available what do I do oh yeah yeah no I got a w- I actually got a good one I got a good one um but I'm not gonna tell you who it is it's a secret anyways have a great week be safe be dry be cold cool be warm be safe